Thank you for choosing to listen to our sermon podcast. My name is Chris Mitchell. I'm one of the pastors here at First Covenant Church of Anchorage. If you have any questions or prayer requests, feel free to stop by or send an email to office at anchoragefirstcovenant.com. God bless. Okay, so uh, children, you are dismissed um, for, was it sixth grade and fifth grade and under? Um, uh, for Children's Church downstairs. And, uh, and we'll get started. I feel very awkward. Like, this is not where I normally preach, but um, so everything's new. Uh, to start with, I want to uh, share this text exchange that I had with uh, Iris Wellborn. Um, if you guys don't know Iris, she comes to this church. Uh, she's not here this morning, but uh, can you get this? Okay. Um, so. So she's the one that's sending the text, and I'm the one that's, I'm the blue. So uh, said, is this the last book? Me. No, no, it's a side book. Oh, well, and then an emoji. If you can't see it, it's like one of those, like, one eyebrow up and a flat face. Mm. And um, me. Yeah, I've given up. From my that I remembered, I was disappointed with the end of the story anyways. Iris. Yeah, I'm over it, too. On to the next book. Now... Um, oh, oh go, go ahead and leave it up. Now, uh, there's some things that you can... Well, sorry. There we go. Um, there's some things you can assume uh, just by reading what's said. Uh, Iris is asking me about this book series, and she's disappointed that the book she's asking about is not the last book in the series. Um, but she doesn't use an angry face or a sad face one. It's just more of like a resigned kind of like, come on, look... Um, and it seems like I'm, I know a bit about the series that she's talking about, but I don't really remember it that well. And we can also tell that there's um, some side stories in, in this book series that's not part of the main series. Um, but there are a lot of things that uh, we don't know about. And because you're unfamiliar with the context of the conversation, and you don't know my background with the book series, um, and we don't know why even Iris and I are even talking together. Like, how did we meet? What sort of relationship we have that, that this would be our conversation? Um, you can only learn about these things if you get the wider story. Now, just to give you a little bit of the wider story, uh, Iris and I have known each other since uh, she was in middle school and I was in high school. So a really, really long time. And we read fantasy novels and we give each other recommendations. And, uh, and the book she's asking me about, I'm, I'm sure some of you are like, oh yeah, I know what you're talking about. Um, um, a new book by Patrick Rothfuss named The Narrow Road Between Desires, and it takes place in the world of the King Killer Chronicle, but it's not actually part of the main storyline. And uh, now, and just so you know, the audiences have been waiting for that third and final book in that series um, since 2011. So it's, it's been a long wait. And so Iris was very hopeful that The Narrow Road would complete the series, but unfortunately, no, no, it's just a side book. Um, doesn't continue the story on at all. Um, so, so through knowing more about Iris and my friendship um, and the book series, you can learn a little bit more about the conversation. And consequently, we can learn a little bit more about the books and about the author of the books, um, about the public reception of the series, right? Uh, Patrick Rothfuss is the author. Um, so he's been notoriously stuck you know, writing this book, this last book in the series for 13 years now. Um, and uh, 
So you can learn about my, his my history with it. Um, Patrick Rothfuss was actually my TA in, um, at Washington State University, and so I got to read a rough draft of these novels um, before they got published. So like, um, I got to know, know some of what happens. I don't really remember it. But, um, but I, can, I can understand why it's taking him so long, because I was a little bit disappointed um, with it. But you, you kind of miss all of that. Now, um, in a few short, short weeks, we're going to start reading Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus, uh, the book of Ephesians. And I love Ephesians because it's about so much about how we're transformed by Jesus to live, to serve, and to love one another as part of the kingdom of God. But before we read that piece of correspondence, I thought it would be good, good to go back and to get context to that conversation. So it's not just like this little text message, right, where you only get the, the words, but you don't get the broader story of what's going on. And so with that, we're going to look at Ephesians 19, or sorry, Acts 19, which covers Paul's time in Ephesus. And uh, we can't cover all of it. But uh, we'll go over at least the first half of that chapter. So please join me before we start really digging into the word. Holy Father, Lord, we know that whenever we encounter your scripture, Lord, that, we get, that we're transformed. That we get to know you a little bit better. We get to know your heart a little bit better, Lord. And we get to see, Lord, um, that we're just a part of the story. That there's a whole wider story that you're writing, God. And so, Lord, I, I just pray that we can, can understand our part of the story a little bit better. We can understand um, a little bit more of what you're doing in Ephesus, Lord. Um, and that would encourage us and help transform us in our lives today. In Christ's name, amen. All right, let's go ahead and start on uh, verse 1. While Apollos was at Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. There he found some disciples and asked them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They answered, No, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. So Paul asked them, Then what baptism did you receive? John's baptism, they replied. Paul said, John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe in the one coming after him, that is, in Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. There are about 12 men in all. All right. Now, now Paul actually had first been in Ephesus in chapter 18. He was on a journey, but they docked in Ephesus. Um, but, you know, he got off the boat, went and met the, some Jewish leaders in the synagogue, told them about Jesus, but then he left. He was trying to uh, make it to Jerusalem. Um, but he promised, he's like, I'll be back. So Acts 19, this is him being back. And scholars estimate that um, it was about 52 AD when Paul went to Ephesus. So it's about 19 years or so after uh, Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection. And so word had already spread through the Jewish communities about this prophet who was a cousin to John the Baptist. And like his cousin John the Baptist, he was also killed by the authorities. And they may have even heard some of his teachings or rumors about his resurrection. And so when Paul arrived in Ephesus, he met a group of people that were already inspired by Jesus. 
They may have heard his ethical commandments. They may have been inspired by his words, you know, the kingdom of God's near, or about how he stood up to both the Roman and Jewish authorities. And these people that Paul ran into, they liked Jesus a lot. And they were determined that they were going to follow him, right? So scripture calls them disciples. But they didn't know what that meant. Not really. And so when Paul meets them, he asks if they received the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit, he's the advocate that's promised by Jesus, right? In John 14, 26, Jesus said, But the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things, will remind you of everything I've said to you. And so when Paul is asking if they received the Holy Spirit, he's saying, Hey, you guys know about Jesus. You guys have heard about Jesus. But is God doing something in your life? Has God transformed you? Do you now feel the presence of God leading your life? What brings you to Jesus? What guides you into deeper relationship with the saving power of Christ? Because that's what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit draws people into the presence of God, where they're conformed to be more and more in his likeness. But the disciples, they don't know anything about the Holy Spirit. So Paul asks them about baptism. And the disciples hadn't been baptized. They knew about John's baptism, right? Asking God to forgive sins and recommitting oneself to God. But they didn't know about Jesus' baptism. Um, their belief and trust in Jesus was intellectual, you know, based on what they heard. Um, and it was real, right? Because intellectual belief is real. Um, but following Jesus is about more than just a, having a philosophic framework for understanding the world. So it's about being transformed, right? And that's actually one of the, the main things about the covenant is, um, you know, is welcoming new birth and having a new life in Christ. And baptism, baptism is a mark of discipleship and identity. It's a participation in the death and resurrection of Jesus. And so Paul baptized the people in the name of Jesus and the Holy Spirit came on them and they spoke in tongues, they prophesied. Okay, now here's where we can really get sidetracked into what is speaking in tongues, what is prophecy, um, why do we do it, or why don't we do it, when do we do it, why don't we do it, um, and these are things we can talk about and we can argue about, but that's not the point here, right, it doesn't actually even say anything about it, it just as they did it. Um, the point is that these folks, through baptism, died, and they were resurrected into the kingdom of God. There are new people in a new creation. Right? They spoke a new language. They saw things in a new way, and they spoke about things in a new way. And that's what it means to receive the Spirit of God. And I pray that we can all receive the Holy Spirit, and we'll all continue to receive it. And so then, there are 12 new disciples of Christ in Ephesus. Okay? And once again, 12, you know, kind of being the completion, like the 12 tribes of Israel, the 12 disciples. Okay? All right. Let's continue on, verses 8 through 12. Paul entered the synagogue and spoke boldly there for three months, arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God. But some of them became obstinate. They refused to believe, and they publicly maligned the way. So Paul left them. He took the disciples with them and had discussions daily in the lecture hall of Tyrannus. This went on for two years, so that all the Jews and Greeks who lived in the province of Asia heard the word of God. God did extraordinary miracles through Paul, so that even the handkerchiefs and aprons that had touched them were taken to the sick. And their illnesses were cured, and evil spirits left them. Now, when Paul um, went to Ephesus, 
he, he goes to the synagogue. That's what he does first. He goes to the synagogue. And that's what he promised to do in 18. He said, okay, I'm going to come back. And there he shared about Jesus for three months. So it wasn't even like he just went there once. He went there for three months. But they were not receptive to his message. And remember, this is the early days of faith. Right? The, right? It's called the way now. So like they weren't called Christians then. Um, and he was mocked. And his message was mocked. Right? They spread false rumors about him and traded insults. So after three months, Paul changed his strategy. Right? He, he went to the synagogue, but after meeting resistance, then he rented a space in a lecture hall. And for two years, Paul was there. And he, he, he met people there, and he preached, and he taught there. And God used Paul for all sorts of healings and all sorts of miracles. So much so that people would take his used tissues and, and his clothes and try to mimic the healings and exorcisms that Paul did. Now, this is a good time to give you some background about Ephesus. It's a big city. It held the Temple of Artemis, which is one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. Um, and this is a huge temple. And the city revolved around the temple and the worship of Artemis. And there was an economy built around the buying and selling of relics and totems about her. And it wasn't just things that Artemis sold well. There was a huge market for spells and witchcraft. The city was known for sorcerers. And magicians, all right? And they would sell scrolls and charms using a, using a pattern that was called Ephesia Grammata, right? Or the Ephesian letters, okay? And, um, and so you're supposed to get these scrolls and you're supposed to recite these, these things and they're kind of like nonsense phrases, um, but the, there's, there's supposed to be power in that. And so they would get these and they would, re they, they would recite these spells. And so magicians, witches, shamans, sorcerers, they'd set up shops along those who sold rel religious relics. And all this trade, along with being a port city, made Ephesus rich. It was a wealthy city. So much so that the Temple of Artemis, it served as a bank, and it was the largest bank in the Asian provinces. Okay, so lots of money is flowing through here. And so we have money, we have religion, we have magic, all in Ephesus. It was a major epicenter of culture in that part of the world. And shortly, actually, after Paul's time in Ephesus, um, there was, they started to be construction of a great library there. Um, and it was the third largest library in the ancient world. Okay, so it's, an, it's, it's on the precipice of becoming a learned city as well. And so Paul's lecture hall was a good way to reach people there. It, it fit the culture. Um, and the miracles that God used, uh, that God caused through Paul, demonstrated the powers of God to a people that were used to seeing magicians and miracle workers make all sorts of claims. But usually, um, they're secretive, right? Because they didn't want you to like get their spells or get their their religious trinkets. Um, but Paul, I can just see him like he's just wiping his you know head, you know his, his sweat cloth and throwing it down, and somebody's like, oh, and they snag it. Um, so Paul did all of his stuff out in the open because he knew that it didn't have any power. Right? All the power really belonged to God. And so the, the Ephesians they tried to treat Paul's things like all the other relics that were sold. Okay, all the other ways that they, they used magic there. And, and, it, and it seemed like they were kind of effective, but um, we're about to see this change uh, starting here in Acts 13, or sorry, Acts 19, verse 13. Some Jews who went around driving out evil spirits tried to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who were demon-possessed. They would say, in the name of the Jesus whom Paul preaches, I command you to come out. The seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish priest, were doing this. And one day, the evil spirit answered them, 
Jesus I know, and Paul I know about, but who are you? And then the man who had the evil spirits jumped on them and overpowered them all. And he gave them such a beating that they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. And when this became known to the Jews and the Greeks living in Ephesus, they were all seized with great fears. And the name of the Lord was held in high honor. Many of those who believed now came and openly confessed what they had done. A number who had practiced sorcery brought their scrolls together and burned them publicly. And when they calculated the values of the scrolls, the totals came to 50,000 drachmas. In this way, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. Uh, so these seven sons of like trying to figure out how to say these words, huh? Skeva, um, the local Jewish priest, he tried to mimic Paul and to cast the demon out of the man. And listen to the words that they use. In the name of the Jesus whom Paul preaches, I command you, come out. They're using the name of Jesus like a spell. They're not confessing any sort of relationship to Jesus. They're just using Jesus as like a means for power. And of course, God does not let that stand. I mean, they should know better too because, you know, the Jews believe that, right? They shouldn't hold any other name. They shouldn't consort with witchcraft and stuff like that. And the demon, the demon doesn't recognize their command because they don't have the authority to command anything. Remember, in Ephesus, there's all sorts of musicians and priests that claim to do all sorts of things. And so the sons of Sklenda were, were just following the practices of the culture. And where people used words and things as talismans and spells. But the power of God's not based on any of those things. Right? The power of God's based on the relationship with Jesus. It's based upon an indwelling of the Holy Spirit. But it's based on the adoption into the family of God. And so the demon does not listen. Right? He does not listen to the sons of Aspeskeva. Because they don't know Jesus. And, and so the demon-possessed man, he attacks and he beats up all, all seven sons. Right? He hits them so hard, hard their clothes fly off. I don't even know what that's like, but they all came out there naked. And, uh, and all beat up and bloody. Um, so, and the people that had been paying attention to Paul, both Jew and Gentile, they took heed and they came to fear the Lord. They recognized God's power and authority. And so they took all their magic charms and scrolls and burned them. They rejected all the power, authority, and wealth that those things represented. It was a confession that Jesus was their authority. They have no need for anything else. Their trust is going to be in the King of Kings. And through their actions, the word of the Lord spread. Now, I'm going to stop there with this story. It actually comes up. There's a, there's, there's a little bit more, because that's just the first half of this chapter. Um, but uh, the kind of good, yeah, there's some other things that comes up. But I want to end with this. This story, this story of Ephesus is a lot like our story. Because it's easy to make fun of ancients with their spells and temples and superstitions. Right? It's easy just to mock that. But we have our own. Right? We trust in science and politics and money. And too often we put our faith in the power of those things. And I'm not saying that those things don't have power. They actually do. Um, but we end up putting our faith and our trust in the power of those things, right? The things of this world, rather than Jesus Christ. Right? We fear the power of society rather than the power of the risen Lord. And make no mistakes, 
In Christ, all authority has been given. Over the next several months, uh, we're going to be digging into the book of Ephesians. Um, in the book of Ephesians, this letter was written about 20 years later. Okay, so, so things have kind of percolated in that culture some. And this is, we're going to look at how the power of Christ transforms our lives and our relationships. But before we start, let's ask the same questions that Paul asked of the Ephesians disciples. Have you received the Holy Spirit? Have you accepted Christ? Have you been baptized into his family? Do you want to be? All right. There is a new way of living. There's a new way of being in this world that's not based on the powers of this world, but they're based on the King of Heaven. Um, I'm actually about to leave, um, and I'll be back next week. Uh, but after the service, I'm sure if uh, Christy or Alex are around, if you want to have any questions or you'd like to talk to them about, Tom is great. Um, you know, so he's he's available. But we'd love to talk to you about this, okay? Because we're all being transformed, all imperfectly being transformed. You know, sometimes I kind of halfway transform and then get stuck and transform back, and I have to repent and keep on going, okay? But God wants to do something. God wants to do something in our lives. Where we're giving up and rejecting. We're saying this world, this world is not, does not have authority in our life. I'm going to trust something deeper and stronger. Pray with me. Holy Father, thank you for your word. Lord, thank you for, for the stories that we get to hear of, uh, of other um, people thousands of years ago. And for through their stories, Lord, get to understand a little bit more of how our stories work and how our society works. Lord, Teach us how to be your disciples, Lord. Lord, make us receptive of your Holy Spirit. Teach us how to know you. Teach us how to be transformed. Teach us to reject the powers of this world. And to trust in you. In Christ's name, amen.